tonight on Unsolved Mysteries, Noah's Ark, New in Town, Model A Sister, and Car Wash Kidnap. Hi, I'm your co-host, Crystal. And I am your other co-host, Robert. And this is Reenacted, an Unsolved Mysteries podcast. Crystal, I, I understand that there's some big, big news. Big news. Big news. Big news in the a, a very long-running Unsolved Mystery is now solved. Um, this was pointed out. I mean, I saw it, but then uh, one of our listeners prompted me to want to discuss it. Uh, and they're absolutely correct because we have this is regarding the Zodiac Killer. So I think this was Mac. I want to say Unsolved Mystery season two that this came up. If if I recall correctly, it might have been even a season one. I know Son of Sam was season one. We we uh, covered the Zodiac. Mysteries. I think so. Yeah, Cause specifically the cipher that was left by the zodiac killer hmm, i have a, 51 years ago I, I i don't seem to have any immediate recollection of that i guess i'll have to be re-listening well, to our own chills now <laughs> i think it might be because it was a while ago and this listener is is getting caught up with the back catalog i think it's a new fan okay so you know what we recorded many years ago in our linear sense of time is uh is uh, new new to them. But uh, this last week, there were three gentlemen um, internationally uh, working together. I guess this was their COVID project. I've just been learning how to make cocktails and stuff, so they decided to use their time at home to crack the Zodiac cipher. So um, the Zodiac left, sent a letter, I believe it was to this back in the day. This is, God, what is this, the late 60s? At this point, uh, 1969, yeah, um, the Zodiac Killer sent a letter to the San Francisco Chronicle that included a new puzzle. And so previously, the Zodiac had left, uh, been sending letters. There's like a whole fucking movie about it with Mark Ruffalo. Just go watch that. I love that movie. um, That's a great movie. It's a great movie. Uh, It is a great movie. Please go watch it. I Listen, I couldn't even get through it the last time I watched it. I got so spooked. I was completely like spooked out. I had to turn it off. That never happens. Wow. Okay. I. I yeah. <laughs> um. So this cryptogram, it was in a bunch of different runes, uh, was sent to the Chronicle, and uh, it's become known among people who decipher stuff. Okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> cryptologists. Uh, Is that a yeah? That word? sounds right. Uh, right. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I, I don't think it's decipherers as as cool as that would sound. I don't think so either. So yeah. we'll go with just the guys who, guys and gals who are into this stuff. Guys, gals, and non-binary folks who like to decipher cryptograms. Um, So this one is very famous. It's called the Z340, or simply the 340, because it has 340 characters in it. And you can go look this up online. Um, It's it's sort of a made-up language. I don't know if it's referencing any sort of, like other kind of runic language but that's why people have had such a hard time deciphering it is because there's no known key to it so the long and short of it is uh i will should i read on air what the message said that was decoded i 
Should I do that I don't, for the folks at home? I, I, I very much doubt that the, the Zodiac is going to send us a cease and desist letter or something, right? So why not? <laughs> <laughs> He's like, that shit's copyrighted. <laughs> um, okay, so here's what the cracked cipher reads according to the people who just cracked it recently. I hope you're having lots of fun and trying to catch me. That wasn't me on the TV show, which brings up a point about me. I am not afraid of the gas chamber because it will send me to paradise. All the sooner because I now have enough slaves to work for me where... Oh, crap. My phone just turned off. (laughs) Uh, Because it will send me to paradise all the sooner because I now have enough slaves to work for me where everyone else has nothing when they reach paradise. So they are afraid of death. I am not afraid because I know that my new life will be an easy one in paradise death. Uh, Paradise is interestingly spelled consistently. Spelled this way. P-A-R-A-D-I-C-E. And uh, the references to the gas chamber in the TV show and all that, I guess, for big Zodiac heads, all checks out. So nothing in this is, like, surprising to anyone. I guess the FBI verified that the cipher was correct, which is so funny to me because, like, what did the FBI have, like, the key all along? And they just wanted people to have a fun puzzle. (laughs) (laughs) The FBI, like, verified that was correct. They were like, yes, it was you guys. You solved it. Here's your prize. I was just your about, FBI trophy. I was just about to say, uh, they're, they're, uh, what did they win? I, I kind of feel like this is, you know, this is like one of those, um, uh, you know, it's like uh, when the company does a nationwide contest, and if you you turn in, you know, mm-hmm. they, they they've they've cracked the code, and as long as they include like two proofs of purchase <laughs> that, with what they mail into the FBI, they'll get, they'll get the, uh, they'll get the, the scooter bike or, or whatever. I, I think all, th- yeah, all three of these guys have to split the scooter bike though. It's going to be kind of hard. I think one of them lives in uh, the United States and another one lives in Australia. Hmm. Yeah. And no. then another one, um, let's see. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, the other t- so Orinchak is the guy from Virginia. The other two men on the team are Sam Blake, an applied mathematician who lives in Australia, and Jarl Van Eek, a warehouse operator in Belgium. Yeah, so I mean, I think maybe they get like four months each of using the scooter. Mm-hmm. They'll just ship it around <laughs> using the FBI uh, award scooter. <laughs> um, so that's the big news and unsolved mysteries updates this week. <laughs> Do you want to talk about the movie Zodiac briefly? Yeah, I liked, uh, I first saw that movie probably somewhere around the beginning of this, uh, this decade that's, that's now about to end. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I really, uh, well, I mean, I could, that's a point of perspective if this decade's about to end, but, uh, some might say it ends on December 31st, uh, 2021. Wait, no, what? <laughs> You're right. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> I I was just remembering the dumb shit argument we were all having at the end of 2019. Please continue. I'm sorry. <laughs> I well, I I well, I mean, or even going back, remember the remember the the big arguments about when we reached the year 2000, and people were like, "Yeah, but it's not mm-hmm. really the new millennium. That happens a year later." It's like, mm-hmm. well, okay, yeah, that's technically true, mm-hmm. but this is. This is what everyone's going to be celebrating. So, um, 
yeah uh yeah no i i saw that film probably around 2012 uh it was when i uh uh we we had cable at the the house and it was on whatever network encore or whatever and i just i really uh really was into that 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 movie it's uh for me it's all about the mood okay it's just like Mm -hmm. And you know, with and the fact that with like all three different protagonists that we follow in the movie, each one it's just mm-hmm. sort of like, it's just like you know, try, I just you know, I just like it, like uh, trying to piece stuff together, and you know, it, it 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 just, I mean, and I'm not really one for like true co- crime movies, uh, and this is probably where this leads to my most interesting thing to talk about. Uh, the movie Zodiac is I was discussing, I was mentioning it to an acquaintance of mine who is into that stuff. I prefaced mentioning Zodiac and how much I liked it by saying, I don't like true crime movies, but this was a really well-made movie. And as soon as I had gotten done explaining why I liked it, the film so much, uh, she was like, well, if you like true crime stuff, you should check out this other movie about blah, 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 murder or whatever. I was like, I just said at the very beginning of this, I don't like true crime. <laughs> that this this was the exception. I, I, I mean, I didn't say anything like that. I was just, that was just my feeling, exasperated feelings. Uh. So that's what I have to say about Zodiac. What do you have to say about Zodiac? Um, I no, I thought it's a it's a really intense movie. I had some there's some really tense scenes, and just the most recent time I tried to watch it, which was probably in the last two years, was I had to turn it off because I was just getting it was too intense. I couldn't I couldn't take it and it's there's you know it's mostly about the journalists um at the Chronicle and the cops trying to track down the Zodiac in the late 60s early 70s when this was going on but there are some scenes with the actual Zodiac killer that are just uh very frightening um I know that I've mentioned this on the pod before but the first the, the first two kills that were attributed to the Zodiac uh, occurred on Lake Herman Road oh. in the town that I uh, grew up in, in Northern California. <laughs> yeah, so, you, um, you're right. You did mention that because that led to one of the many times where I got confused about like, wait, I thought you lived, grew up in Washington. And <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. No, when I was uh, between the ages of three and 12, I lived in Benicia, California. And that was the site uh of the first uh, Zodiac killers. And there's been a lot of um, speculation that the Zodiac killer, uh, well, it, all almost all of the kills were around the Bay Area, if I recall, maybe exclusively in the Bay Area. And uh, there's some speculation a while back that the somebody thought their stepdad was the Zodiac killer and they lived in Vallejo. Okay. <laughs> anyway, uh, that's... <laughs> I'm anyway, sure every other person thinks their <laughs> stepdad is the Zodiac killer. No, no. Yeah, it's just like he's just going out real late at night, you know, <laughs> and he's just like really into like, you know, weird ciphers, and he didn't he never spelled the word paradise correctly. It was weird. Uh, but uh, okay, well, 
But do you want to talk about some unsolved mysteries? We Well, now that that mystery is solved, we should definitely talk about some <gasps> oh, unsolved mysteries. Nice transition. Uh, this is... This is season four, episode 22, if you're playing along at home. We're going to talk about what I'm, I'm sure you're thrilled to talk about, which is Noah's Ark. You mean the kosher restaurant on Burbank Boulevard by my house? Is there a kosher restaurant near your house? Um, There are many. Ooh. Many kosher restaurants, but specifically one is called Noah's Ark. Yeah, have you ate there? I, I No, weirdly, I haven't, and there's no good reason for that. I have no excuse, and they, and I'm sure some of them are just fantastic. So I have, I, there, there's no reason for that behavior I, on my part. I'm intrigued. Uh, maybe the next time I'm down there, you know, after after you guys, <laughs> pandemic is over. You want to go? You want to go hit up uh, Kosher Row and Valley Valley Village over on Burbank Boulevard? We can do that. Yeah. How how many how many meals of different kosher restaurants do you think I could eat in an afternoon? You mean what? What is physically possible for you? Yeah. Or how many? How many would be available to you? How many would be physically possible for me? Um, maybe two. Yeah, that sounds right. Okay, so yeah, I don't, Bobby. You're not. You're not like a. You're not like a big eater. I'm. I've been with you. You're. You're not. You're not at competition level. <laughs> the eating. Damn, you're. You're right. You're right. Well, who was I kidding? Okay, so the real Noah's Ark, not the one by Crystal's yes. house. Yeah, the real one. <laughs> Let's talk about the real Noah's Ark. It's, um, you know, it was a big boat, and there were a bunch of animals yeah. in it, and it came to rest after the, the big flood. Uh, there's that movie, Evan's, Ev- Evan Almighty, which is kind of similar, and... We have uh, we have reached my we have exhausted my knowledge of Noah's Ark. Um, Noah's Ark was definitely. I feel like I had some kind of Nintendo game. Also, oh, that that's that. right. Where you go to you like you have to like grab the animals and pull uh, bring them into the ark. I remember that. I'll so the, here's here's the deal with the segment. Okay, it's kind of it feels a little bit like the Amelia Earhart segment. <laughs> Which is, you know, we get presented with these sort of theories and findings throughout time. There's been various expeditions to try and locate uh, whatever remains of Noah's Ark. Um, A lot, we get a lot of, this is when my anthropology brain kicked on. Because we get a lot of background about um, the biblical flood. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, that occurred in the Old Testament of the Bible. But what Robert Stack is telling us is that this idea of a sort of devastating flood um, is present in a lot of other cultures. Um, So he kind of runs down a list really quickly. I guess there's, there's a, for some, you know, Native Americans here in North America, there's a similar, I think he said it was the Hopi. Sorry, please don't email me if I'm wrong. I believe that was correct. What he said. Okay, um, so so all of these different cultures throughout time uh, have these stories of this great flood occurring, and it's sort of being this event that is either detrimental to all life on Earth or detrimental to just humanity. Um, of course, in the um, Old Testament, uh, the story goes that uh, you know God was uh, angry, <laughs> big surprise, and. <laughs> 
<laughs> goes God again, being angry about stuff people are doing. And then he's just like, you know, this is fucked. Uh, we're, I'm going to wash away everything. We're going to start over again. Um, so he goes to this guy, Noah, and, um, and he's like, no, I need you. And he puts it in the Bible and this will come up later in the segment. There's really sp- uh, specific, specific, there's really specific <laughs> plans for what the ark should look like. It has to have, um, three decks or something, um, and then it, you have to build it by so many cubits long to wide to height or something like that. It's really specific. So, like, I don't know if you wanted to, you could probably build your own ark using the plans in the Bible. Um, I think people have probably done that throughout history. Anyway, I'm getting off topic. <laughs> so uh, Noah builds this ark, and he's allowed to take his family and his son's wives on the ark. And the plan is they're going to take two animals of each kind uh onto the ark and then there's a nice little bit in the unsolved mystery segment where they have some stock footage of them loading goats and lions yeah i was this this was like because we didn't we don't really have a reenactment in this segment because it's like Mm -hmm. you say it's a lot of live interviews and whatnot i mean Mm -hmm. it's interesting it kind of starts out with um robert stacks in what i assume is a museum but they they go with a soundtrack mm-hmm. choice to play sort of like religious music, and it just kind of felt like mm-hmm. the show was trying to trick us into believing he was in a church or something. Um, mm. But then we get this stuff, and you know, just judging from the sort of the color and whatnot in the film, it looks like it's it's stuff that was shot like in the seventies. Yeah, it looks it looks like a church video. You know what I like, you know, then what I was <laughs> You know what I mean? What I was yeah, no, I I mean that was my first thought, but another idea that occurred to me was uh, are you familiar with the show In Search of? No, but please tell us about uh, it. it was a 70s show kind of focused on not just the paranormal normal normal but unexplained and unusual stuff. It was hosted by Leonard Nimoy. Oh wait, I you, I never watched it, but I know what you're You know talking. what I'm talking about, yeah. Yes. And they had mm-hmm. a segment on Noah's Ark, and I kind of feel like mm-hmm. this would be like the sort of footage that they would have been using for their <laughs> for their depiction of, of it. It's probably yeah, it's probably just common use loading of the ark stuff that's just available if you dot yeah. mpg yeah file or something. precisely <laughs> um so yeah i mean that that uh, that's what stuck out to me was uh while watching this segment yeah it had it had kind of like soft 70s porn filter on it <laughs> precisely it <laughs> was that what you were trying to get at and then i just kind of like laid it out no um, no i mean i mean you know, it's just you know it's it's people people know what what stuff in the 70s looked like I mean, film wise. Um, yeah, sure. Um, I mean, neither neither you or I were alive back then, but we can like point to something and say, "Oh, that probably happened in the seventies." Yeah, precisely. If we were to see it. Uh, so coming back to no, this Noah's Ark. So the story. So there's been expeditions throughout the years, and uh, most recently, the one that uh, Unsolved Mysteries is going to tell us about is that. Um, Back in 1969, this Turkish businessman uh, named George Hagobian uh, was saying 
that the Ark is resting on the top of Mount Ararat. Now, I think that's where it says in the Bible. Um, I Also, the reason that they haven't been able to you know, uncover it or see it is because there's a, there's glaciers up on Mount Ararat. Uh, Mount Ararat is in Turkey, but I think it's very close to the Armenian border, if I'm correct. Yes. Yes. It was kind of interesting because we get a a little bit of a time capsule here because this was Mm obvious. This segment was put together, um, after the Soviet Union had dissolved sort of, but before, really all of its constituent parts had broken up because Mm -hmm. uh, it identified across the border being belonging to the George, uh, the Georgian uh, Soviet, you know, Mm. whatnot. And nowadays, I mean, obviously that, that was a Soviet like administrative, whatever, because that was Mm -hmm. very, very soon broken apart into, uh, different countries including Armenia and Azerbaijan which uh, had mm-hmm. I've appeared in the news recently um, I was kind of curious I was kind of curious with this George Hajobian because that's Hagobian because like that kind of looks like an Armenian name to me so, it does yeah so I'm, I'm assuming when they say Turkish they mean uh, country you know, uh, country of yeah, citizenship country of rather than, than yeah. yeah, ethnicity. <clears throat> um, so, so George is saying, uh, look, there's, you know, he, uh, when he was a young man, he was hiking up a Mount Ararat and he saw, he saw Noah's Ark. I don't know how he was able to identify it as that, but the legend <laughs> exists that that's where Noah's Ark came to arrest. Uh, it was, it was, uh, peeking out from a melted part of the glacier. And so he describes it as looking like a long box. Um, there are some photos that unsolved mysteries kind of shows us of things like sticking out of glaciers that don't necessarily look geologic. They could be man-made. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so there's a, it's, I'm not going to get into all this, but like, you know, there's been various expeditions that have gone up there to try and uh, figure things out. So basically, uh, we are caught up to what is it, 1989? Here, someone else, Don Don Shockey, launched an expedition in April 1989, and um, uh, <laughs> they uh went up to the mountain, but then the Turkish government stopped them from going to the north side, which is allegedly where uh, uh, God Hagobian immediately forgot his name right had said that they would find this piece sticking out um so then one of the turkish guides went on by himself uh and so he was also find something half buried in the snow he took a photograph of it that's the one we saw on unsolved mysteries uh it looks it's like a rectangular object with a peak roof um And everyone interviewed on the show seems to think that this was a picture of something man-made. This guy, Shockey, goes back to Mount Ararat in 1990. Um, He wasn't able to find what the guide had photographed because it was now hidden by ice. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then there's a... Okay, so that's that's Shockey's deal. 
So then, like, 14 <laughs> miles in another direction, there's somebody else who says that they... David Fasold? Fasold? David Fasold, yeah. He's yeah. Or 17 miles away, not 14 miles away. Um, and he believes the Ark is at a second location. So he did his own thing in the 1980s, uh, separate from this Hagobian, ex- like, clue. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, he... he he found some iron fittings and pins, uh, 20 to 30 inches apart. Um, it was obviously man-made. Uh, there's, so there's this sort of in the base, not as high up on Mount Ararat, but nearby there's, uh, sort of this feature. Uh, it's a long running cutout in the side of the rock and, and you can see it if you, I suppose if you Google it, but it was, they spent some time on it and unsolved mysteries, where it definitively looks like something um, has sunken in to the side of the mountain. Uh, and this is where Shockey was scanning things. Um, so they were able to find some evidence that there was like ribs of the boat where a boat would have been. And the length was correct. And the width was correct according to the same measurements in the Bible. Um, and then very quickly do they mention... <laughs> <laughs> that some other people think that what David Fasold found was the remains of a Mongol fort. And then other people think it's a geological formation. Um, but, you know, the Turkish government has closed the case. This isn't really an unsolved mystery. They have said that, no, this is where Noah's Ark rests. The official the site was. of Noah's Ark. That's I, right. And there's a gift shop and everything. So I... I think I vaguely recall this segment being aired on television and then mm. excitedly talking about it. The Interesting. Next, yeah. Yeah. And excitedly talking about it the next day at school with uh, someone in my third grade class whose name coincidentally was Crystal, but she spelled it with a K. Um, oh, bitch. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> uh, we, we, could, we could have had some some deep irony uh, happening, happening there mm. for a moment, but and, uh, you know, she was, uh, I think she was pretty game on, on the idea of it being Noah's Ark. And I was like, well, the government of Turkey says it is, so mm -hmm. <laughs> it must be, right? Must, Official. Must be true. Yeah. <laughs> must be true. If, if you can't trust the government of Turkey, who can you trust? Yeah, no, exactly. You're exactly right. Yeah. Uh, so... Robbie, what do you think's happening here? What do you think's going on? Do, wait, do you mean do you mean to like go back even like a step further out and like want want to talk about Noah's Ark, the idea? I mean, because I remember in Western traditions two hundred one, and uh -oh. that's a little U and R drop there for for those <laughs> in the know. Uh, someone brought up. Like when they're talking about Noah's Ark and flood and whatnot, and they mentioned, you know, like, oh, you know, this is an idea that you see in a lot of cultures and whatnot. And they brought up mm -hmm. the uh, that idea of um, the uh, that the the Black Sea experienced like this this massive flood situation, and mm -hmm. so stories we hear about that are kind of because of a, a some change in climate. Um, mm -hmm some Arctic snow or whatever, you know, was melting and it caused like, it wasn't that the black sea didn't exist, but that it was smaller. And it was just like, it was a, 
inland sea. And what happened mm-hmm. was that uh, where the Bosphorus is, the flooding uh, caused by the melting ice caused water to start coming over uh, uh, whatever obstruction there was and then flooding into uh, the, I guess, the basin where the Black Sea is and making it much more larger than it is now and connected to the uh, and then connected to the Mediterranean. Um, so I don't know. <laughs> I have never investigated this, this, this premise. Uh, it's an interesting idea. Mm-hmm. And I guess I could see we're like, Oh yeah. You know, if a lot of people saw that and then they would relay it. But at the, <clears throat> at the same time, I, I, I guess like if that's happening, you, you're probably not like spending months, if not years building a big boat, you're probably just trying to get the hell out of the way. Right. Um, yeah, if it's happening slowly enough, but I mean, it's also, um, you know, specifically in desert cultures, you're going to have situations where if it hasn't rained in a long time and then it rains a lot, you're gonna have a lot of flash floods and like it's going to happen. So, yeah, yeah, uh, you know, I think there's a really parsimonious explanation as to why a lot of cultures have this myth of the great flood is because it happens from time to time and it seems to happen quite suddenly too. Floods, so, they do happen. Uh, I can't deny they that. Do, they do happen. Uh, yeah, you know, and I, I was looking up some of the people listed here, like Mr. Fasold, David. He, you know, obviously, of course, he has his own book about where he thinks the Ark is. And I don't know, like, I, I I felt like I'll, you know some of the people that yeah you know, that they had on this segment were uh, were here partially pitching their books, and so mm-hmm. that's my thought. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of um, look. Uh, how do I put this delicately without upsetting a lot of listeners? There is a. Um, certain tourism industry uh, that will take your money (laughs) to show you um, such sites as, you know, uh, there's like whole Middle East tours that American and uh, European evangelicals go on Mm -hmm. in the Middle East. And, Mm -hmm. you know, most frequently they just go to Israel, but sometimes the tour gets extended up to Mount Ararat (laughs) in Turkey and, um, you know, there's money to be made there, I guess is what I'm saying. So it's in the interest of the Turkish government to <laughs> just be like, yeah, this is where Noah's Ark is. Because, you know, there's just folks who want to feel a certain connection to what they think is history. And, you know, yeah, there's yeah. just a lot of money in this Noah's Ark game. You know what I'm saying? Noah's Ark. <laughs> Hey uh, Robbie, let's uh, let's bring it back, bring it back home, shall we? Yeah, <clears throat> let's return back to the good old U.S. of A. Let's start this um, shit off in um, what is it? I want to say Milwaukee, but it's not really about Milwaukee. You see? No, because well, the the individual involved, uh, a uh, Tracy Wo- Wofford. 
bun. Um, mm-hmm. They they begin the segment talking about how this is this is someone who is I'm not sure free spirited is the right term, but she 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 was willing to make a move from Milwaukee, Wisconsin to Baton Rouge, Louisiana on just like mm-hmm. just like uh, a whim almost. Uh, they're like, yeah, within a week she had already packed up and was back in Baton Rouge, ready to move down there. Yeah. And I, I, I often, whenever I hear about people like this, I'm always, I'm always sort of like, oh, I spent months mm-hmm. carefully planning my move from Dayton to Silver Springs. <laughs> Did you? Hmm. Yeah. Like, um. Well, I mean, if we're if we're to believe her uh, ex husband Solomon, Tracy was, uh, you know, she was simultaneously um, strong willed and free spirited. Yes. So once she got it into her head to do something, he he gave an example of like if Tracy wanted to go to Minnesota. Guess what? She was going to Minnesota, and it's like, don't know what Tracy's doing over there, but good for her. Um. Yeah, he's, so, he so yeah, it, Tracy. You said it with like, as I mean, you know, the way you said it, it was just like it'd be like if I heard someone talking about like someone you know, they knew who lived in Reno. It was like you, you know, one one time they decided to go down to Sacramento. It was like it's only two hours away. No, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly right. Um. Okay. So. So Solomon's just, you know, he's the ex-husband and he has certain feelings about things. Okay, moving on. So Tracy moves in with her sister who's already living in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Um, her sister's name is Danielle. And Danielle is also an interviewed for the, for the segment. And Danielle is kind of impressed with, like, how quickly Tracy was able to just start a new life, it seemed like. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Uh, and she got a job at a restaurant very soon after she got a new boyfriend. Uh, so... So here's this. Here's the story, friends. On March thirty first, nineteen eighty nine, uh, Tracy's boyfriend dropped her off at work. Very importantly, this is Tracy's car that he's driving. Yes. And um, the the gear shift breaks, and this is all part of the very detailed reenactment of uh, driving around Baton Rouge <laughs> one afternoon. And uh, so the gear shift just broke off, and then um, obviously you can't drive the car if there's no gear shift. That's impossible. So um, the boyfriend and his cousin just kind of have to ditch the car, and then they go to the cousin's house. Um, I guess Tracy IRL called her boyfriend from work and learned that the gear shift had broken in the Unsolved Mysteries reenactment. This conversation is happening in person. Um, well, I mean, like, they... Oh, wait, no, she leaves work. work. She leaves work. I'm sorry. And then she goes to the boyfriend's cousin's house. Yes. Okay, yes. sorry. Getting my details a little mixed up. Robbie, I've been drinking. I'm not gonna lie to you or anyone else anymore. Okay, so... <laughs> <laughs> Tracy gets in a, to an argument with this guy and she's just she's there's a really great line <laughs> it's like he's like you know you know what there's always a problem when you try to shift it in the third gear and she's like I don't have a problem with that you have a problem with that why'd you break my car and so she leaves and she starts walking to where her car her car is before we get too far with her having left the because I mean for me that that whole like 
reenactment that takes place in um, the cousin uh, Eric's uh, house mm-hmm. uh, in the living room mm-hmm. was just immensely fascinating. You got, you know, like, oh, my uh, God, Robbie, it was a it was a scene out of a Spike Lee movie. It was. <laughs> That's what I incredible. thought I was watching, and then I I like I like also when uh you know when she's sort of pressing her boyfriend on you know what the hell you know was is going on, and her boyfriend was like, Eric and I were just writing, right, Eric? And mm-hmm. you have a brief cut over to like Eric who just sort of like looks you know like. You know, sort of like I mean, he wants to obviously shove like two fingers into his uh, shirt collar and go like uh, he he, he gives the, he gives the sort of non like the the minimum committal response, which was just sort of like a very you know a little bit of like yeah. Yeah, that's a ticket. I really feel like, you know, this, like they really play him off as like someone who's just trying to like avoid being committed into the story as much as mm-hmm. possible. And I just love it. Mm-hmm. And then when like. Trace- yeah, no, I. Oh, oh go ahead. No, I was, and I was going to say when Tracy's leaving the apartment, like you hear her b- boyfriend and it sounds like it was like an ADR line, uh, mm-hmm. you know, saying Tracy. Uh, uh, like you know, he's he's trying to like shout at her not to leave, but you don't actually see him get up and go to the door <laughs> or anything. Or yeah, that, <laughs> exactly. Like he's just gonna let her walk for what like a half an hour. It's like a half mile away. Mm-hmm. He's just gonna let her walk over there in the middle of the night by herself. I'm like, this guy isn't shit. Like he breaks her car and then he's like. Well, we'll just deal with it later. And she's just like, we're going to deal with it now because it's my car and I need my car to work. Like, yeah. What are you doing? Like, this is some of the best reenacting work I think I've seen in the show. In this scene. I would legitimately be interested if like if this was like expanded into just like its own program. I'd, I'd, I'd be mm-hmm. kind of interested in watching it and see, seeing, you know, uh, if it was all as well written as this. But yeah. And yeah. The, like, um, it was. I, I bought all of it. Who hasn't yeah. been in that argument? Who yeah. hasn't had that boyfriend? You know what I'm saying? Right. And it's interesting. They kind of, they don't really play up like initially when they show her leaving work or then walking to her car. I mean, it's dark, but they don't really play up the idea that like it's a dangerous neighborhood. But then later they have a reenactment mm. of her walking down the street uh, on when they're trying to retrace her movements and they, they throw people in and they try to make it like, seem like she like, Oh, this was a, a dangerous walk. Um, uh, which, which makes her, her boyfriend's reluctance to even like escort her to her car kind of, uh, 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 uh contemptible. So, I mean, if you break her car, you can at least, show i mean how did she like i guess he must have described where it was in detail because like or or given her like a specific address or location it was at parked at Mm -hmm. well here's here's where the word it takes a dark turn um Mm. so tracy leaves the uh the cousin's house and she did make it to her car unfortunately but she um was found dead 
uh, in a parking lot in her car the next morning. Uh, there's, um, she was assaulted. It looks like her clothes were taken off, but put back on her. Not a lot of signs of struggle. Uh, the coroner found, um, some weird burns on her body though, Mm -hmm. after they found her. Um, so, uh, the attack that unsolved mysteries takes is that, you know, they interview this cop from Baton Rouge and he's like, you know, I've, I've seen a lot of homicides, but there are just some certain things here that don't add up. There's some missing pieces, I think is what he says. Yeah. Uh, and they interview the cousin and the the boyfriend, or the boyfriend and his cousin, and they both pass polygraphs. And there's no reason to suspect um, that they had anything to do with that. Um, but there, but then Tracy's sister jumps in, and she's just like, "Well, you know, like I introduced Tracy to a lot of people, and like some of them were like, you know, they were dealing and." Um, the investigators think that um, for whatever reason, maybe because the the people had seen the boyfriend and the cousin in the car, that same car earlier, they were looking for them and they found Tracy instead. Uh, you know, bad things happened. So they think it might all be drug related, which I don't know. Maybe it was. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we don't really get uh, there's there's some speculation, but we don't really get much expansion on it. Yeah, so there's there's a lot of, yeah there's just a lot of speculation on that. So, um, we do get an update though at the end. Yes. Um, I guess using DNA linked uh, that was found on Tracy's body and in her car, it was linked to a rapist that had already been convicted and was serving time in jail named Freddie McKinley. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, while they determined that he was the one responsible, so this wasn't drug related, it was just a serial rapist back at it again. Um, he, this guy, Freddie McKinley had already died three years prior to them doing the DNA matching in prison. So, yeah, it's kind of, um, it feels like a split decision cause it's like, well, uh, he didn't get the the crime didn't get attributed to him while he was still alive but i guess at least mm-hmm. he was he was still in prison so yeah. i mean he it's yeah i mean it's like was justice served here kind of i mean i mean like i guess it's like yeah if um you know uh, you'd like to think that like karma got him even if uh, the law didn't i mean the law did but not yeah. specifically for for this so yeah, yeah. not for that yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, um, what did uh, what did you think of this segment, Crystal? Oh, it's. I mean, the the reenactments were fantastic. Yeah, I think probably it's some s- of the best we've seen. Oh, totally. I I agree. <laughs> I agree. Um, the case itself was incredibly depressing and sad. <laughs> yeah, I, I also agree. <laughs> Um, okay, well, uh, maybe we should uh, we should do a lost loves. Let's do a lost loves. This is uh, Donald Strat looking for his little sister Dolores Strat, um, and this is going to take us starting all the way back to the early 1940s. So, longtime Guess listeners what? of this pod, depression story. <laughs> We'll know exactly what's ha- going to happen uh, mm-hmm. as soon as in, I this is say- this entire podcast. Now, this is this entire podcast is lost loves 
of people separated from their siblings or parents during the depression. Yeah. This is this entire podcast. (laughs) You know, as soon as I saw, like, I'm not sure what the, what the exact car was, but you know, like a model a type car pulling in front Mm -hmm. of a farmhouse. I was like, Oh, I know exactly where this is leading. Um, it's that it's that same chi- CPS or child welfare, I guess is what it's called back then. It's that same lady. I swear it's the same actors <laughs> every time. That's the CPS person. They or they, they they they're at the very least they're they're casting based off a very specific t- set of criteria. It's like mm-hmm. okay, show can you show us uh, sort of. Um, you're gonna you're gonna like have a real disapproving and judgmental uh, uh, reaction to what you're seeing. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, like that, like that. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so this uh, uh, the car pulls up, um, child, whoever come out of the car, and this this was interesting because this is at the their aunt's house because the aunt is currently mm-hmm. housing. Uh, the two of them plus two older brothers. Uh, and the the, the, the the segment never really got into the details. We've kind of find out later, like, well, the mom was pregnant as well and she couldn't work. So I guess the kids were staying mm-hmm. with the aunt and the father was mm-hmm. unfortunately in an asylum. Um, so the thing is, is the... the you know, and, and the aunt, it, as portrayed in the reenactment, is like a total bitch. She's just like, mm-hmm. you get out of the house right now. You're going to get a proper house now. And it's just like, it very much feels like the aunt is just like, you know, I don't want to deal with my sister's kids. So I'm just going to give them mm-hmm. away. Which mm-hmm. I would, I, if I had seen this segment early on in our podcast, I would have been incredulous. Like, how can the aunt do this? How can you just give away like your your siblings' kids? That that can't be possible. But uh, but as we've seen over the course of the last few years of watching this show, basically, if you were in around during the time of the Great Depression, uh, you could pretty much just give away someone else's kids, or take them, or sell them off. Uh, Without uh, without any any legal obstruction whatsoever. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, kids are getting traded like you know NBA players back in the depression. You know what I'm saying? Totally, totally. Uh, <laughs> I mean, th- we we get a little bit of this later on, but yeah, like they the 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 kids get split up almost immediately. Donald and his little sister they get both get taken to a Lutheran children's home. And mm-hmm. Donald, uh, gosh, he seems like uh, in the reenactments, you're like, gosh, wouldn't you like to have a, a big brother like that? Like he's playing with his sister. He's trying to like keep her happy. He's brushing her hair like that's mm-hmm. he's just like, oh, wow, he's, he's really taking care of her. Um, and <laughs> but obviously, like he was only five at the time. So you can forgive some of the major boneheaded moves he makes later on in this segment. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can kind of forgive it because he was five. Um, what, one of the, like one of those moves is uh, when he begins to realize that they're not, they're going, they're not going back home from this place. 
he mm-hmm. he orchestrates an attempted escape. Uh, yeah, he, he jailbreaks. Yeah, yeah. He waits till the 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 nurse was so sufficiently distracted, and he takes his sister out to the car. This car in the Model A parked in the driveway, gets her in the car, and then attempts to drive it based off what he's observed in the past, which is there's a there's a pedal that you know propels the the, the car. Um, but since he's so small, he can only like push down on it and then hop back up to see, <laughs> to see where the, where they're going. So the car is moving mm-hmm. like inches at a time as he just, you know, goes back and forth on this. He said his plan was to get down to the, like the, the main road. Um, and I, I'm like, I'm really not sure. <laughs> Obviously, I guess, again, he was five where he planned to go from there. But uh, obviously they get caught, and then shortly thereafter, his little sister gets adopted by some family. And, you know, like, apparently every time you ask the nurse, like, what happened to her, the the nurse would be like, don't you mind that? That's none of your business. Mm -hmm. Which, Mm -hmm. I mean, if, again, since he's five, you, you probably couldn't think of the, you know, to articulate, like, but she's my sister, so that kind of does make it my business, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, and but he's temporarily reunited with her because the family, like the sister, was 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 so, you know so not having been adopted by this uh, family that they had to like bring the little brother in as sort of a to to help um help her accommodate to her new surroundings. Uh, mm-hmm. and so he basically got to spend a few days like just taking care of his sister on behalf of this family uh, and then the nurse arrives back and she pulls a big you know she walks in and she pulls this big uh, 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 not switcheroo but uh, she play, plays quite the trick on him she's like hey do you want to go for a ride and yeah, you know, they show show the, the the little kid that they have doing the the reenacting. They show him look, see that his sister is currently being fed, and she doesn't seem to be upset. And he's like, "Well, okay, that's don't have to worry about that for the moment." And uh, I like going for rides, so sure. <laughs> and uh, what the nurse obviously didn't tell him was they're just going for a ride right back to where they the, they had started out at at the, uh, the children's home. Uh, nah, that's pretty much all we got for reenactments. Uh, we have a interview with Donald. He's talking about how much he misses his sister. La 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 la. la. Um, the, they managed to locate all the other like parts of their family. Um, including subsequent children that his mom had with someone else. And yeah, and and it, she had ten in total. Ten, right? Ten children. Which ten. I mean, you know, it's like you know, if you if you couldn't like look after the first four, like why bother having more? But uh, um, well, you're assuming that was her choice to do that, but okay. Oh, do do do. Um, and then uh, so Dolores is the only one who is uh missing out from this 
and we mm-hmm. get a very quick um i mean they 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 there there's a lot there's a like a quick cut here where clearly unsolved mysteries couldn't wait to like tell us like update like they had mm-hmm. they didn't even finish the fade out before they they, they threw that they right were at itch- us. no they were itching to let us know yeah that they uh, had solved this they had solved it it was one of those uh, same nighters uh dolores mm-hmm. now renamed penelope sue lewis saw in the, saw saw the segment it was like oh my god that's me and uh we they, they got a family reunion just a few days later so um it was uh uh donald got to be reunited with his sister so we got a happy ending a happy ending yay yes I would like this to be the last lost love segment of children separated during the depression because they were poor. Um, I just know that it won't be. <laughs> There's going to be so many so, more. Like I know I this podcast is now. I know I've said it before, but it kind of like I'm beginning to wonder whether anyone actually was raised by their biological parents in the 1940s. No. <laughs> No, they weren't. You hear that, everyone? All of your family trees are bullshit. It's uh, true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, we got um, one more right. segment left. Do you want to go to the car wash? Yes. Uh, unfortunately, this is not a joyous comedy car wash segment, but in fact, the, we have a... a uh, 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 what turned out to be a, a murder, um, that happened. Uh, we get it starts out not on the victim, but rather we we follow three different individuals who all know each other and are going to the same house, and they all have encounters with the same car, a uh, brown car. Um. Mm-hmm. Where they they see it like pulling in next to an apartment to, into apartment complex. Or they see it at an intersection and they try to, uh, they can't make a turn. So they have this motion for them to turn first. And uh, you, 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 prior to recording, you described these three guys as, what, what was the term you used? Unintentionally funny? Yeah, they were unintentionally hilarious. These can- three witnesses. There's just... Just the color that they were adding to recalling this night because they were talking about this car pulling out in front of them and being like, go, you fool. <laughs> right. And um, yeah, they were, I don't know, they were funny. This isn't a funny segment, but they were adding a bit of levity and color to. Yes. Unfortunately, to unfortunately, we, we take a very sharp turn pretty quickly because when they're all gathered together at the, uh, the same place, they hear... Uh, a woman screaming uh, coming from the direction of a nearby car wash because of the presence of a wall and some trees and whatnot. They can't actually see what's happening uh, and only observe the tail end of the incident, which is some, uh, uh, a vehicle that that same Brown car they recognized from before pulling out onto the street and going the wrong direction, nearly hitting another vehicle. Uh, mm-hmm. they go to investigate, they find a car that doesn't have, that's in, in the middle of the process of being, uh, cleaned off. 
there's no one else around. And unfortunately, what happened here was there was an abduction of a woman named Co Colleen Reed, who was a CPA, if I recall correctly. Um, we basically just get a horrifying reenactment of her stopping to get her car washed and this brown car pulling up, uh, backing up towards her car. Both men get out and act like they're about to start vac using the one of those coin-operated vacuums, but then immediately rush her, uh, grab her, and take her into the car and drive away. Uh, that's really it for the reenactments. And we just have interviews with the people who knew her, and they're they're pretty um they're pretty realistic uh one of them has the assessment of like obviously i would like to believe that she's still alive and being held somewhere but that's probably not what what's going on and uh we get an update they they did manage to eventually locate both the individuals involved um and uh, so one of them got, one of them was sentenced to death, right? Was he? Yeah. And then they had a thing where like he then agreed to show them where the body was. Oh, right. Yeah. No, yeah. he was arrested and charged and convicted. And yeah, a month before he was executed, he led police to where the body was. Right. And the other person involved got 40 years. So... Mm -hmm. Glad those six came. Oh, um, oh. good news. He's uh, eligible for parole in 2021. So that's something to look forward to. <laughs> wow. That's um, great to hear. Uh, for all those who, of you who thought 2021 was going to be a better year than 2020. Uh, it is. People getting out on parole. Yeah, yeah. I guess for him, it's going to be probably the best year he's had in three decades. So there you go. It's that's twenty twenty one is going to be. It's going to be his year. Yeah. For sure. God. Uh, you think he'll be? You think he? I'm sorry. This is so fucked up. You think he'll be like OJ and he'll get on Twitter when he gets out of jail? I I have to say like. I find OJ's Twitter just this bizarre and horrifying yet fascinating thing that is happening. Um, mm -hmm. I don't follow him because I don't want to reward him. But occasionally mm -hmm. someone retweets oh, yeah. some, something he does or whatnot. So I go over to mm -hmm. his thing and I kind of look back and I mean... I mean, if 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 you if you've looked at one month worth of his Twitter, you've seen basically any month worth of his Twitter, which is like every other post is either him golfing or uh, talking about like his current picks on teams that are going to excel at sports, or uh, I guess there's some bar or restaurant or something that he likes to go watch games at with some of his buddies. Um, mm. and you... um, hey, this is. I'm sorry I brought it up. This is way more time than I ever wanted to think about OJ Simpson again. 
Yeah. Yeah. OJ Simpson, who was uh, famously one of the people representing him, was Alan Dershowitz, uh, a guy who obviously mm-hmm. specializes in, in uh, trying to help obviously guilty men uh, flout the law. <laughs> anyway, so <laughs> if you like this podcast, please go to iTunes and give us 10, oh, five stars, whatever the max stars is. Give us, give it to us. Yeah, just max it out. Max it out. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then uh, at, we can be located at Reenacted Pod on Twitter. Send an email. No, fuck that, Robbie, you coward. Just give them your address. <laughs> <laughs> uh, wow. I'm sorry. That's... I'm sorry. I, uh, I finished my drink. You, um, you don't need to yes, apologize. Yes, at Reenacted Pod. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We're at Reenacted Pod on Twitter. And uh, reenactedpod at gmail.com if you want to send us a nice note um, or tell us to go to hell. Either way, totally understandable. I'll give them our, I'll uh, give them my old address. All they'll find is an okay. empty lot with a, a nearly empty trailer on it. Good luck finding me now, suckers. <sighs> you know, I'm really excited about the, the next episode of Unsolved Mysteries that we have coming up. I am too. I am too. Yeah, it's uh, what is it? It's a Sunday night special on psychopaths. I think is what they were advertising. Yeah, they us. and they they use the term uh, diabolical minds and diabolical minds. Now, yeah. I, I went to the next episode just to watch the first minute or two of it to confirm that it is in mm-hmm. fact going to be that sunday special and it is okay good oh um, great good i was a little worried we might get skipped yeah, out of that yeah they got like the, the the first few seconds of it start out with like they're talking about jeffrey dahmer uh the people involved in the snl uh the saving and loans scandals in the 1980s oh, i was like saturday night live <laughs> I, I, that's why i corrected myself i was like oh boy she's not gonna she a lot a lot of people are gonna think i'm talking about uh um yes yeah, a totally different group of people and uh saddam hussein and they're like yeah some people think there's some people call them psychopaths some people call them sociopaths we call them Dial up all coal mines. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Um, so uh, next week well, should be really fascinating. I cannot wait. I'm so excited. Uh, Robbie, on that note, um, should should you do the thing? Do you want to do the thing? Well, I'll do a thing. You. Okay. All right. Join us next Sunday for a special unsolved mysteries event diabolical minds 